This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Uh, Exodus 20, I'm going to read the prologue to the Ten Commandments, then I'm going to read the first four, and then we will read the fifth as well, and then we'll come back and, and teach the fifth commandment. Here we go. Verse 1, and God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. God, we pause today before your word. Thank you for this day that we could set it apart that we could be here today, that we could be hearing your word and singing worship songs to you and interacting with your people. We're so grateful for this. And I just pray that as we open this up, this passage, you would speak to us, that your name, your character, your person, and your work would be elevated in our midst. I pray that we would understand this command. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to proclaim it with clarity with truth, and I pray that you would apply this passage to all of our hearts. I pray that you would reveal to us also afresh the Lord Jesus Christ and his work for us in the gospel. So we just pray, Lord, that you would have your way in this time. This is your day. We are your people. This is your gathering. We are your church. This is your word. Now speak and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Ten Commandments make a shift at this point. With commandment number five, there's a shift. The first four are all directly about response to God. So God delivers the people of Israel, his people, out of Egypt. And he says that I brought you to be able to worship me. He, he brings his people together for himself. And then he begins to give them these ten laws that are to describe how they are to live now that they have experienced freedom, deliverance, now that they have experienced grace, now they are to live in this way to honor the Lord. 
And the first four all have to do with him. So he tells them, you know, I'm God who delivered you. You, should have, you shall have no other gods. I alone am God. You, you're not free to think of me as you want and create a, a carved image to worship me. But you must worship me as I really am. He says that in the second commandment. And the third commandment, he says, you, you should use your speech in a way that honors me. Don't use my name in meaningless fashions to debase the holiness of my name, but use my name in a way that will glorify me. And lastly, he says, I am Lord of your, your time, that one day in seven is to be set apart for me, a day of worship, which is what we talked about last week, a day of rest, a day of worship. So these are all about how the people of God are to respond to God. And then the next thing he says has to do with how we respond to others. The next six commandments are all, we could say, horizontal. How we respond to others. The first four are vertical. How we respond to God. The next six are how we respond to others. And what's so curious about this is he doesn't start with what we might think of as a really big one. So when he moves to how we respond to others, he doesn't start with don't murder. It seems, if we, if we don't really know what the commands are about, and if we just don't know what the rest of the Bible says, and we're just reading this, it seems like he goes from something really big. No other gods. No idols. One day in seven set apart for me alone. Huge things to what could seem like something small. Mom said, eat your vegetables. Do what your mom says. It can appear to be really big to really small, but if we view it that way, we really misunderstand what God is saying because God is transitioning from something really big to something really big. This is really big as well because here's what he's doing. God is saying in the first four commandments, you are called to honor me directly. In this commandment, he is saying, you are called to honor me indirectly, perhaps, honor me by honoring my delegated authorities in your life. So he's shifting from honoring him directly to honoring him by honoring delegated authorities in our life. That in, in his in our lives. That is the heart of the command. How do we relate to to those God places in authority in our lives. So we could look at all kinds of Scripture. We could turn to the New Testament and look at Scriptures that would inform us and teach us and command us, in fact, to respond in a certain way to authorities, to, to those who have a place of leadership in our life. There's verses about how wives are to respond to their husbands. There's verses about how employees are to respond to their employers. There's verses about how all of us as citizens are to respond to rulers, to the government, to civil authorities, to the police, to anyone that's in leadership, rulership, authority, oversight in our lives. There's verses that we could see about how is the church to respond to its elders in the church. I mean, we could extrapolate this out and, and say in any context where someone is delegated oversight of you, it, it has influence on how you are to respond to them. How does a player respond to a coach? And it could, we could just stretch this out to say God has a vision for us responding to delegated authorities in our lives. But this starts at home. 
And the first place any of us learn to honor God is in the context of family and learning how to honor parents. Now, I have to make a choice on how to teach this material today. And we could go like buckshot and cover all those things I said. We could just start flipping our Bibles and say, what does this mean to the employee? What does this mean to a wife? What does this mean to a citizen? What does this mean to a church member? We we could just run through that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be laser-focused, and I'm just going to primarily address one group of people here today, which is not all of us in terms of applying this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to address those. This is a little different. But I'm going to address those who are under their parents' authority. So those who are, we have some elementary kids here, we have middle school, high school, uh, and and college age um, folks who are are still relating under their parents' authority. And then here's what I'm going to do. Almost everything I say to that group, it applies to you as an employee, as a citizen, as a wife, as a church member, wherever else. You know, the HOA, whatever, it applies to you. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to connect some dots and make your own application, and I'm not going to connect the dots for you. I'm going to ask you to do that. So uh, big responsibility, but I think you can handle it. And I'm going to go directly in application to this group of people, which matters to all of us, by the way. Even if you're not a 13-year-old young person to you, this has significant impact on you because the future of our church rest on the response of this group of people. Plus, we all serve in children's ministry. Plus, we all participate in care groups with people that do have kids, some of them under their authority. So this is a family matter, so please don't say, wow, okay, now I can snooze for the next 30 minutes. Because this really does apply to you, because you love kids, and you love this church family, even if you don't personally have kids. And you're in all those other categories. So here we go. Let's start with this. Parents are a gift from God. I I, I want to start with that. Now, I understand that that verse doesn't explicitly say that, but that is the kind of background of what's being communicated here. God is communicating how his people are to respond to him in light of the fact that he has freed them. So the whole context of this passage is look at what God has done for you. And based on what God has done for you, here's how you are to respond to him. And God has provided parents. And they are a gift. God has freed these folks, and he wants these people to continue to worship him for generations to come. So he's given all of these children and the children that are yet to be born, parents who can pass on the message of the gospel to them, or the message of their deliverance from Egypt, the message of God to them, and God's people will continue through that. So God has not only provided rescue, but God has provided a means to train the next generation, and that's by giving the gift of parents. Parents are a gift. Parents are a gift. They are not a perfect gift. They are not God. I'm going to say this several times because I don't want it to be confused. Um, We don't worship parents. Uh, We don't submit to parents identically all of our lives and everything just as we would submit to the Lord. I'm going to be careful with that. I'm not saying that they are gods here or anything like that. They're imperfect We as parents have limitations, we are sinful, we are ignorant, we are weak, we are tired, (laughs) 
Look at anybody that has a, a really young child, doesn't sleep through the night. They are tired. So we have our limitations. But God has provided this imperfect gift as a gift nonetheless. And God has given parents a unique, God-given, glorious, inexplicable love for their children. And desire to pass this on to the next generation. So your, your parents love you. That's true for all of us. I mean, your parents, your mom went through the pain of birthing you and, and loved you when you were born, even though you were sort of a mess and you cried and you had to be cleaned up. And, you know, here's the truth of the matter. Like, your grandparents and the friends, and everybody came to the hospital and said, you were so cute, and they brought you to church. Everybody said you were so cute. And those people weren't telling the truth. You were ugly. I mean, that is just the truth. We're going to get to the, the commandment about lying, and some of us are going to have to go back and say, oh, remember that time I said you were cute? Really, you weren't. But, uh, and get that right. But, you know, to your mom and your dad, you really were. All those other people were being deceptively polite. But to your mom and dad, you really were. And why is that? Because God put in your parents' heart a love and a commitment and a desire to see you cared for and to be raised up to know the Lord. And since that time, they've provided food and clothing and instruction and encouragement and correction. They've provided so much for you young people imperfectly to be sure. And for us adults, our parents did that for us as well. You know, we could do a whole message on how someone at our stage of life, with kids under our authority, how we are to respond to our parents and care for them. That'd be a whole nother message that I'm just not going to go down that road right now. But we as well, all of us can give thanks to God that God provided parents. But if you're a young person here today, here's the greatest testimony that your parents are a gift. You're sitting here. You're in this room. I mean, because of your parents, I don't know what's in your heart, but because of your parents, you're obeying the fourth commandment today, which is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are with the people of God, worshiping God, because your parents brought you here. Because your parents want you to know God. This is a profound gift. And many don't even realize how precious this gift is. Think about this. There are neighborhood kids all around you in your apartment complex or your neighborhood or wherever you live. There are, there are kids around you that woke up today without parents bringing them to hear the gospel at some church in the area. There are kids that you play soccer with. There are kids that you go to school with. There are kids in your dance class. There are kids in your karate class. There are kids all around you that do not have a parent that cares if they go to heaven or hell. Because their parents don't know Jesus Christ. Their parents are dead in sin. Spiritually speaking, they're alive, they're breathing, they're moving around. Inside, they're dead to God. But God has given you parents that know Him. And in all their failures, and all their weaknesses... Here's the gift of God. You're here hearing the gospel today. That is a precious treasure. That is a gift. You could be so many other places not knowing anything about Jesus Christ today. And that is the gift that God provided the Israelites too. God freed them. And every child that was born to them was born in the covenant family, born to the covenant people of God. 
They were privileged. They were blessed. They were set apart. They were God's people. And he provided parents to pass on that truth and that knowledge. And you have the same gift in your parents. My father was not and is not to date a believer. My mom is with the Lord now, but she was always a believer my whole life. And so I was raised by a Christian mom. And when I was growing up, I couldn't really appreciate what that meant. To be brought to Sunday school and to be brought to church and to be taught the gospel and to be instructed and corrected and encouraged and helped and served, motivated by a mom who desired that I know Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him. If you have that, and if you're here today, unless you're visiting with a family, you likely have that. God has blessed you richly. Parents are a gift. Another truth in this passage is that as you honor your parents, you honor God. That's really a second idea here. Honoring your parents is honoring God. God has all authority, and he delegates the exercise of his authority. And that could be a message as well. Those who are in places of authority are not to abuse that authority or misuse that authority. So there's passages that talk to mothers and fathers about how they exercise authority because they're rep- representing the Lord to their children. So that's, that's a serious topic as well. But as you honor your parents, you're honoring God. If you're a young person here today, okay, if you're a young person and you want to serve the Lord, you want to please the Lord, you want to love the Lord, here's a a foundation stone. Here's a place to begin, a block to begin with. Honor your parents. Because as you honor them, you are ultimately honoring God. You can't separate the two. If you honor God's delegated authority, you honor him. I remember when our kids were younger. We don't have babysitters anymore. All our kids can sit themselves. But um, when uh, when we had younger kids, we'd have babysitters over. Uh, we, I can remember when the kids were really little, littler, uh, I can remember going through an exercise of transitioning authority. So the babysitter's there, and to ensure that, you know, everything doesn't go crazy of the minute we walk out the door or whatever, I can remember just saying to the kids, okay, let's pretend that uh, Susie's the babysitter here. We never had a babysitter named Susie, but she'll do. So Susie's here. She's a teenage girl. She's a college girl, whatever. She's loving our kids by sitting for them. And so we would just say to the kids, okay, mom and dad are leaving. So who's the authority? Okay, the right answer is not for the kids to say, me. <laughs> that, that would be the wrong answer, though might be the truthful answer. But uh, and who the, uh, Susie's the authority. Okay, so if Susie asks you to do something, what do you do? We do it. Okay, so Susie says it's time to go to bed. What do you do? We do it. So then we would just try to transfer that authority at various times and let them know so that when we're gone on a date or whatever we're doing, my wife and I, And Susie says, okay, it's time to go to bed. This is not up for grabs or discussion. Or how does everybody feel about going to bed right now? We're not having dialogues, but Susie is the authority over the young children uh, delegated by us. So when Susie says it's time to go to bed, it's just the same as if mom or dad said it's time to go to bed. It's the same. And if they gave her really a hard time or did something, then the same penalty was enacted the next day when they woke up and we were there, right? So there was the same accountability. So, so what we were trying to teach is there's a delegated authority. When your parents are gone, the babysitter, your teacher, whoever it is in whatever context, that's an authority. This is how it works with your parents. God has delegated authority. 
He's not physically standing in the room. But when they give you his instructions, now bedtime's not in here, but when they give you instructions, your parents do, and even if it's not a specific scripture, if they're still asking you to do something, that's delegated authority from God. And as you respond to them, so you are responding to God. He has delegated to your parents. And this is, this is why the Scripture takes this so seriously. The Scripture takes the idea of responding to your parents, young people, way more serious than most of us do. Or way more seriously than most of us do. Listen to this passage of Scripture. This is in Deuteronomy 21. This is what the Scripture says. <clears throat> if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother... And though they discipline him, he will not listen to them. So he's just refusing to respond to his mother and father. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, another designated designated authority, at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. means he will do nothing responsible. He just sits around eating and drinking till he's drunk. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and shall fear. Wow, what what is going on there? Well, here's what's going on. God has delivered his people. He has a people that are going to worship him. And he realizes that as that faith is passed on, if the next generation refuses their father and mother, refuses to follow them, then they are refusing to follow the Lord. And if that next generation is dishonoring to their father and mother, they're dishonoring to the Lord. And if they're rebellious to their father and mother, they are rebellious to the Lord. And if all the next generation walks in rebellion, then what happens? There's no people of God. And so because this is so serious, he said, if this happens you shall stone them. What that means is they would pick up large rocks and they would throw and pummel until the rebellious person died so that all of Israel would hear and fear God so that everyone else would say, whoa, this is serious. Um, It's the fifth commandment and God meant it. And so people would see their need for God. God rescued us. God saved us. God is good. We want to serve him and not go our own way. Why that penalty? Because if someone wouldn't honor their parents, they weren't honoring God. And God wanted a people that ultimately honored him. Parents are a gift. Honoring your parents is honoring God. And also, this is wonderful. God rewards those who honor their parents. Look at this command. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There's a blessing. You'll live long in the land. They're about to go into their own land. You'll live long in the land if you honor your parents. That that applies to everybody in the room. We can all be blessed by honoring our parents, whatever age you are, if your parents are living. So you will live long if you honor your parents. Well, one reason could be if you don't, you got killed. That could be a reason. Or it could be their parents, you know, the famous Bill Cosby line where he said his parents said to him, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of this world. So it could, it could be that, that, hey, if you mess up here, life's short. But I don't think that's really what's in view. What's really in view is that as they come into the land, as, as they're walking with the Lord, they will prosper in the land. But if they refuse the Lord, which happens in their history, God disciplines them. 
so that they remember God. You've got to come back to God. And so what he does is he sends invaders and they deport God's people out of the land, take them captive. And so to live long in the land was tied to their responding to him. I think we can learn a little bit about what this means if we look in Ephesians because this commandment is repeated in Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, it says, Honor your father and mother. That sounds familiar. That's right here. Honor your father and mother. Then Paul writes, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So this idea of living long in the land has to do with it will go well with you. You will live long and prosper, we might say. Things will go well. doesn't mean you'll never have any problems. doesn't mean that you will always be healthy, always be rich, always be beautiful, always be intelligent. doesn't mean that life is perfect at every corner. But what it does mean is that God's grace, God will honor you as you honor your parents. God's grace will be there. There will be strength. There will be help. There will be God's um, favor upon your life as you honor your parents. Because as you honor your parents, you are honoring God. And as you are honoring God rather than honoring yourself, you are blessed. As you humble yourself, the grace of God strengthens you. As you lift yourself up, if you are proud, God resists you, the Bible says. God gives grace to the humble, God resists the proud. The humble person sees their need for their parents, honors their parents, and they find God's grace. It, It oftentimes seems like that's not the way. Oftentimes it seems like, well, there's a better way, like my way. Not my parents' way, my way. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It can seem like this is the way to go, my way. I know, they don't know, but that leads to a pathway, ultimately, of death in our lives. That's true about any scripture. If we obey God's word, It will go well with us ultimately. You may suffer. I mean, Paul followed the Lord and suffered greatly. You might have physical suffering. There may be difficulty in this life. That's that's a given. But there will be God's peace, God's strength, God's grace, and an eternal reward as well for us. God's way, it will go well with you. Okay, parents are a gift. As you honor your parents, you're honoring the Lord. This commandment has a promise that it will go well with you. Now I want to talk specifically a little bit about, well, what does this actually mean? How can we honor our parents? I'm going to give you three things. I got these from a a smart guy and a godly guy who lived a long time ago named John Calvin. And he basically said there's kind of three ways, and this is in the scripture, to honor your parents by obeying them, by respecting them, and by thanking them. I'm going to start with obeying them, by obeying your parents. That verse that said, Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother. Here's the verse before. So it gives us this fifth commandment. Here's the verse before. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Then it says, honor your father and mother. So a primary way we can honor our parents, if you're under their authority, um, as opposed to, you know, someone like my age, uh, a primary way is by obeying them and by obeying them from our heart, ultimately. Obedience is not just an external act. That's really what a group of people in Jesus' day called the Pharisees did. They just cleaned themselves up on the outside and did what they thought was right, but their heart wasn't right with God. So obedience is not that. Obedience in the Bible is from my heart obeying God, and in this case, obeying God by obeying your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, That's not my advice. 
That's God's word. Actually, that is my advice, but because it's God's word. I didn't come up with that. God did. See, it's possible to technically obey, but not be obeying with the desire yielded to the Lord by being yielded to our parents. Now, here, here's an example. So, I think I mentioned this one before, but uh, say your parents ask slash tell slash require you to clean your room. Okay? Clean your room. Please go clean your room. Um, here could be an attitude. You could say, well, okay, I will, when they ask the second time, or the third time, or when they remind me, or when somebody yells. So as soon as somebody yells, I'll go do it. But until then, uh, I, I'm just going to take my time. Now, that's not really yielding and saying, okay, I want to honor the Lord by honoring my parents' desire. That's saying, I'll just sort of be determinative of what I do. Or maybe you're younger uh, and or not. I mean, probably this isn't happening with real older people, but if you were younger, I mean, it could happen where maybe you just show a body posture that demonstrates there's not a heart to obey. So go clean your room. So you start moving to your room to clean it, but your shoulders, you do the straw man thing. I, I don't know if everybody's heard the stomp, okay? The, the stomp which says, I'm going to clean my room on the outside, but here's what's in my heart. See, we can show what's in our heart. Here's a way to show what's in our heart. That's a sigh. We can go clean our room. We can do it with a sigh. Adults do this too. We just do it usually a little more cultured and cover it up a little bit. But we do the same types of thing. So it's from the heart. Obey what God has asked us to do from the heart. Or here's one which is much more hidden than the stomp, the sigh, the straw, you know, the scarecrow. This is one that's much more subtle. It's, you can hardly even see it. I rolled my eyes. It's the roll of the eyes. When our kids were young, I taught them a verse. I'm not sure my youngest we ever taught him, but we taught the older ones this verse. So listen up, Kevin. Your siblings got this verse. Proverbs 30. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley. So our kids were little, I got a pet raven and put it in the house and say, go clean your room. And if they rolled their eyes, say, honey, get the cage, open that cage door right now. I'm joking because I don't think that's what it really means. It doesn't mean that if you roll your eyes, get some goggles because there's like a raven coming. I mean, God could do that, but I don't think like a raven's going to come down. Oh man, what happened to you? Oh, I rolled my eyes. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Actually, I'm joking now, but I think it's really a sober statement. What he's saying is, and if the fourth and fifth graders, this is a little graphic, but what he's saying is, when does a raven pluck a person? When they're a corpse. And so the, the beasts, I mean the, uh, uh, the prey, the birds of prey, when a dead body is out, would fly down and start picking body parts. And so what he's saying is, the eye that's arrogant towards parents, that person's going to die. It's a deathly thing. You're going, it's at least saying this, you're pursuing the way of death. And here's a vivid imagery. Here's what he's really saying. Rebel against your parents, be like a corpse on the side of the road getting picked over by the animals. That's what that leads to. It doesn't lead to glory, doesn't lead to joy, doesn't lead to independence, doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to being a corpse picked over by ravens. 
So it's a very visual statement to say this is really unwise. It's not only rebellious, it's stupid. So obey from the heart. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this pleases God. This pleases the Lord. Obey your parents, this pleases the Lord. Well, what if Jesus walked in the room and said, clean your room? He sort of did. That's what it says. Obey your parents and you please the Lord. As your parents said, clean the room. As you do that, you do that. Do all your work unto the Lord, the Bible says, for all of us who work. Do your work to the Lord. You're doing it to the Lord, seeking to honor him. We also honor our parents by respecting them, respecting them. Now, I use the word respect, but there's a really strong word in the Bible that's used for this. In Leviticus 19, this is really short, but listen to this verse. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father. Now, the NIV translates it respect, and I don't know if that's because everybody's a little bit nervous. The original scholars were a little bit nervous about that language, but the ESV translates it revere. The uh, noun, revere is a verb, the noun would be reverence. Now, that's like how we respond to God. It is, and we don't, our parents are not God. We don't worship them. But it's saying have such a strong view of respect for your parents that you actually are revering them. Why does the Bible use that strong language? Here's why. Because for a young person under their parents' authority, God's authority is supposed to be huge in your life. This word honor, if we go back to the original commandment, honor your father and mother, this word honor in the original language is connected to the word for heavy or weighty. It's saying that your parents... What they say should have a great weight upon you. Not not like a burden like, oh, because you may feel that. Clean your room. Oh, that's a burden. We're not talking about like that. We're talking about clean your room. Oh, that is what my parents desire for me is significant because how I respond to this is how I'm responding to the Lord. Translate that to the marketplace. Translate that to your marriage. Translate that now, okay? How I'm responding to this, I want to honor because it's weighty. It's heavy to me because as I'm responding to this, so I'm responding to the Lord. So their counsel, their thoughts, if you're older, college age, their advice... I mean, there's, a very, there's obviously a difference in how a college-age person honors their mother and father versus how a 10-year-old, and we have both in the room, honors their mother and father. So their counsel, their requirements, if you're younger, if you're older, their advice, their, their uh, observations. I'd even say this, if you're older, their suggestions. If you're younger, their oversight, their requirements of you, that should be weighty. Meaning, boy, that's significant. That voice is, is loud in my ear. To the older person, even if it's a suggestion, that's a loud voice. See, there's voices like crazy out there. The culture has voices. Your peers have voices. There's all kinds of voices to you and how you should respond to authority in your life. But let your parents' voice be loud. So how, 
How do we give respect to their words? Let me say something to the teenagers here. How do you give respect to your parents' direction, their input, their observations, their concerns, their encouragement, their support, their advice, whatever the category? One way would be casual. I mean, that's just the parents talk, whatever. Yeah, that's, that's a nice thought. I'll give that some consideration and make my decision, and maybe I won't, but thanks. You know, that's just a kind of casual, passive listening, and that could appear to be externally obedient. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, okay. But we're talking about a hard attitude which says honor is what you say, what you think, what you do, even, in, even though you're imperfect, it's weighty to me. It's heavy. It matters. So don't respond casually. Or how about this one? Skeptically. Skeptically. They don't understand. It doesn't matter what they say. It's like the teacher on Charlie Brown. That may be a dated illustration for you. But uh, it doesn't matter. It's just they don't get me. They don't get life in this century. They just don't get it. So what could they possibly say to me that would be helpful because they don't understand me? I'll grant you that. Maybe they don't understand. They certainly don't understand perfectly. No one understands anyone perfectly. Ask any couple that's been married a really long time. They'll say, yeah, 30 years of marriage and we're still trying to understand each other. So I'll grant you that. Yes, they probably don't understand you, but God has graciously by his gift placed the non-perfect understanding parent in your life to care for you, to help you, to love you, to point you to God, to serve you, to protect you, to lead you. And thus, they should be weighty. Their, their ideas and thoughts and counsel should be weighty. Here's another way to respond to your parents' ideas, thoughts, counsel, requirements, etc. Pursue them. That's a crazy idea, I know, I know. It's a crazy idea in this culture. But to pursue your parents, ask what they think. Draw them in. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. What do you think about this? What do you think I should do here? What are your concerns for me? What do you observe in my life? What's your advice in this manner? How can you help me here? pursue them, that is showing respect. How you communicate to your parents is an indicator of respect. Also, how you communicate about them when they're not around is an indicator of respect. Are they significant, meaningful, weighty? Or are they not? You respect your parents with communicating to them. And I want to say this. Always listen to your parents Always. But really, really, really listen to your parents. Now, we're always listening, right? But really listen when they communicate to you about God. When they talk about God, His Word, truth, sin, the gospel, Jesus Christ, hope, the power of the Spirit, the church, when they talk about these themes, really, really listen. Because that's the ultimate intent here. The ultimate intent here is if young people, the next generation, honor their parents and respect what they know of God and the experience of God and desire to learn that 
and embrace that and follow that, then the people of God continue. That's the heart of the command. I've brought you out of Egypt, and next generation, I've prepared a way for you to encounter me as well and to know me through my word, and I've provided a way for you to honor me by responding to your parents. So really, really listen then. How do we honor them? Obeying them from the heart, respecting them. I'm going to be very brief on this third one, thanking them. Thanking them. Thank your parents. That's the third point. I'm going to let you figure that one out. You give thanks to your parents for all that they have done, all their imperfect attempts to help you know and grow and learn of the Lord, to raise you, to know the Lord, disciple you, discipline you, forgive you, love you, provide for you, cook for you, clean for you, care for you, listen to you, all that. Express thanks. What if, what if you're sitting here and you say, I failed. I, 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 I failed at this. Well, I would say, welcome to Grace Church. Every person in every seat in this auditorium has failed at this. I mean, there's not an adult here who would say, yeah, you tell those young whippersnappers, because when I was a kid, flawless. Got that one down. Always obeyed perfectly from the heart. None of us Every, I mean, as I'm preaching this, there are some adults in the room that there's like regret, and I don't want you to stay there, but there's regret coming up. We, we could have a few of them meet you in the lobby and recommend at 13 how you view your parents, because if they could go back again, they'd change everything, knowing what they know now. And they would say, they'd plead with you. They would say, I wish I had the opportunity you have, because I was an idiot I blew it, and I'm still carrying some of the effects of how I acted. So I'm pleading with you, don't be a fool. That's a biblical word. Don't be a fool like I was, but honor the Lord. So none of us have done it, except one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I don't know if you thought about this, but he never disobeyed his parents. He always honored his parents. Listen to this verse, Luke 2, 51. After his parents found him as a young man reasoning in the temple, this is what the scripture records, and he went down with them, meaning his parents went down from the temple. He went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus is submissive to his parents parents to his sinful parents to his make mistakes uh, and sin and have limitation parents hey if anybody in the history of the planet could ever rightfully say i'm not submitting they just don't understand it was him I mean, he is God, and he is perfect, and he's living with sinful parents. Jesus could have rightfully said, they don't get it, and he would have been right. He could have said, they don't understand. He could have, you know, we we can tend to point and say, well, because they did this, then I'm doing that. He could have done that. But he submitted to his parents. Flawed parents, the Son of God, submitted to his parents. And you know why? Because he was submitting himself, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, he was submitting himself to God the Father. Not only to Mary and Joseph, but to God 
the Father. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And Jesus, here's the great news. If you're here in a, as you're a Christian and you're a Christian, you've turned from sin, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Spirit of God lives in you. You've been born anew of the Spirit. You're a Christian. This is the great news for you. Because the great news is even though you have blown it countless times, even when you didn't blow it externally, you blew it in your heart. Jesus never blew it, and if you believe in him, if you're a Christian, his obedience counts for you. The Bible says he is our righteousness. So, though you haven't obeyed, he has. Though you've been unsubmissive, he was submissive. Though you've been disobedient, he was obedient. Though you've been disloyal, he was loyal. And he does that in our place, so his righteousness is credited to us. When we become a Christian, we get his record. God the Father looks down on us and says, your standing is based on the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. And since we're talking about this sin, the fifth commandment, let's apply it to his righteousness. He submitted and obeyed. And you know what else? He took the penalty. He paid the price for all of us us who disobeyed. So the stoning that every one of us deserved from the Old Testament for breaking the law, we have... have, uh, earned a capital offense ultimately, Jesus took that stoning, as it were, in the form of a crucifixion. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he is dying for those who have dishonored their parents. He's dying for all of the sins of the Ten Commandments. He's dying for every sin mentioned in the Bible. He's dying for, if you're a Christian, he's dying for your known sin and your unknown sin. See, this this sin is much worse than we thought. We thought a roll of the eyes, that's pretty tame. You should see what my friends do. You should see what someone else does. A roll of the eyes, that's that's practically obedience, we think. And, And God says, no, that's not practically obedience. You're headed the way of a corpse. Birds will be eating your dead flesh. That's where you're headed. God would say, rebelling against your parents and refusing their discipline... Death is the penalty. It's much more serious than we thought. Here's how serious it is. It requires Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to die in our place. We deserve not only physical death, but we deserve eternal death. Because if you have broken the law in one part, the Bible says in James, you've broken all the law. And so if we have dishonored our mother and father, or if we have failed to honor them as God would desire, we have failed to honor God, we have failed to uh, honor the God who has delivered us, who has been gracious to us. And so we deserve eternal punishment for that. And Jesus comes, the innocent one, and he dies on the cross. And God the Father treats God the Son, who is completely innocent, submitted to his parents. He treats him as if he was a a rebel against his parents. He treats him as if he was you and me. And he pours out his wrath upon the Son. And Jesus Christ absorbs the God, God the Father's holy anger that is due you and is due me and is due everyone who's ever broken this commandment, which is everyone. And Jesus absorbs that. Jesus is buried and is raised on the third day to forgive us of our sins, to defeat the power of sin. So if you're here as a Christian today... You may say, well, 
I, I've done some bad stuff, or I've fought some bad stuff. My parents, or some of you might say, like, my parents think I'm being honorable to them. They don't know what I'm doing behind their back, or maybe you're not doing anything behind their back, but they don't know what I'm thinking or doing in here. And so you say, I, I've failed. Listen, come to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, come to him. Confess your sin. Ask him to forgive your sin. Turn from your sin and believe in Jesus as the one who died for sin and was resurrected to new life. And if you are a Christian, come again asking forgiveness wherever necessary and ask him to freshly empower you to fulfill this command, to honor this command. No one's going to do it perfectly. But I believe that we can expect God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to change us so that we're more and more like him. That's what the Bible, the biblical hope is. He's not in the grave. He rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin, and he poured out the Spirit on us, in us. Why? So that we would be like him. And if Jesus was submissive to his parents, that's God's plan. That's not only just his idea or goal. That's his plan in your life as a Christian, that he conforms you to the image of Jesus so that you act more like him because of his work in you and for you in the cross. That's great news. Now, I'm not bringing this message today because, wow, we got a huge problem in this church. And so, like, we ran through the first four commands and couldn't wait to get to this one, to whip the kids into shape. That's really not what's going on here at all today. Actually, I think we've got outstanding examples all over the place of children honoring their parents, teenagers honoring their parents, young adults honoring their parents, Old people honoring their more old, aged parents, caring for them. But I think we can grow a lot. And I think that this is one of the most compelling testimonies of the power of the gospel imaginable. It really is. Because when people in the world are exposed to young people that love God and express that by loving their parents, they honor God and they express that by honoring their parents in the way they respond to them, in the way they communicate to them, in the way they communicate about them, I don't think the culture has any place to put that. The culture understands Eddie Haskell behavior. That's a dated illustration as well. Uh, Eddie Haskell was a guy who, when the parents were around, was great. And as soon as the parents were gone, he was being a, a, a wisecrack guy and picking on the beef. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Or may, maybe you don't. But uh, he was bad. So in front of the authority, he looked good. In private, he was really bad. And that's really who he was. And so the, the culture gets that. I mean, they understand, like, when your parents are around, you act nice. They understand when the teachers around you act nice. They understand being a church kid. They understand when you're at church, you act nice. But when you're away from church, parents, authority, and you still have a heart to honor your parents and serve the Lord in the power of the gospel, they don't get that. There's not an explanation for that. Why? why? You don't have to do that. There's nobody watching. Why Why are you talking that way? Why are you acting that way? Because you've been changed by Jesus Christ. And you're not trying to impress the culture and, and fit in with them. You're trying to honor the Lord and stand out as light in the darkness. That's my prayer. And that's my prayer not only for those who are 13, 14, 20, 10 in the room. That's my prayer for all of us. That in the job, on the job, that we would relate so differently to the employer. Again, not at, you can be Eddie Haskell on the job too, right? You know, you work with that guy who is one way when the, when the out-of-town boss drops in for a visit, you know, and as soon as that guy's gone, everything's back to normal, and this guy, no. 
whether the boss is there or not, the Bible says that we are to do our work heartily unto the Lord, not just for the eye before the eye of the boss. So that's a witness to the Lord. Ladies, the way you respond to your husband, the way we pray for and speak about our rulers and our government, that's a testimony. Lots of Christians jump on the bandwagon of dishonoring governmental authority, getting whole radio shows to do it as opposed to speaking in a way that prays for and appropriately criticizes, but prays for and has a heart of honor, honoring, the, honoring God by honoring the authority. This could go on and on. But God wants to change our hearts so that we honor him by honor, honoring his designated authority, and we do that by embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ and allowing God's grace to change us from the inside so that our heart has a heart of pleasing him by responding appropriately with respect to the various authorities that he places in our lives. Let's pray. God, my my prayer is that we would be a people that honor you. And for me, that's an easy thing to say without a context. Lord, it's very easy to say, yeah, I want to honor God. But Lord, it's hard when it means that I think honorably and speak honorably and respond honorably to various authorities. That's hard for all of us. God, we just confess that our nature is to be our own authority. Our nature is to be independent. Our nature is to stop honoring immediately when someone's not honorable. God, we just ask for your grace and your help. We ask you to turn our hearts. I pray for all those in authority in this room. I pray for, first of all, every dad and every mom, that we would not exasperate our children God, I pray that we would not make it hard to honor us because we act so dishonorably. I pray that our requirements of them would be your requirements. I pray that you would enable us to be patient and gracious and full of gospel life. I pray that we would bring more encouragement than critique. I pray that we would give hope to the next generation. I pray that we would pass on the gospel and not legalism. And I pray that you would just help us to be honorable for your glory. And I pray for every young person in this room that you would help them to honor their parents regardless of how their parents are acting. I pray that you would humble the young people of our church. Thank you for that work's already live. I pray that we continue. I pray the children, the teenagers, young adults of this church, Lord, would relate in such a way that they seek to live for your glory, that they would walk selflessly in honor of their parents. They would be motivated by the love of the gospel. I pray that they would be motivated not just by external rules, but by you, the bleeding Savior on the cross that died for our disrespect and our dishonor of our parents. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the price. Thank you for taking the punishment. and Thank you for obeying in our place. We pray it would change us. Let the gospel have its good effect in our church and in our families, O Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for the gift of parents. Thank you that most every kid in this room has a parent that loves you. And that's a precious gift. We thank you. So, Lord, may revival and renewal come to the parents of this room, to the children of this room, to the employees of this room, to the church members, the citizens, Wives, Lord, wherever our role is, may revival come to our hearts and may we reflect the gospel. In Jesus' name.
Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit gracechurchfrisco.org.